0: I'm the editor of the Adventist Review and Adventist World. This is my associate, Gerald Klingbeil. I'll let him introduce himself, his background.
1: Well, I'm from Germany. Strange name, strange accent. Um, we just arrived here about two years ago. Um, from I've been all my life, my ministry life, involved in teaching. I was a university professor in South America, in Asia, and now we live in Maryland. I have... One wife and three wonderful daughters. (laughs) For the record, I
0: only have one wife, too, but two sons. (laughs) Gerald and I have been friends for a number of years, and when the Lord opened a way for me to not only find a talented editor but a good friend to be part of the Adventist Review and Adventist World team, I knew where to look. And though he turned me down at first because of other responsibilities, Uh, If you wait long enough, the Lord creates the opening, ultimately, and we've had a good time working together and decided to take the opportunity to work this topic together. Gerald has a background as a biblical scholar, particularly in Old Testament. Uh, My background leans toward other things like church history, so we're kind of an interesting combination of both experience and the Word, and so we thought that might be useful to you to share from this topic together. Before we go anywhere else, though, we pray together. Before we look at anything, let's pray. Lord Jesus, take our time this next hour ahead of us. Use it for your glory. Conform our minds to that of Jesus Christ. Shape our thinking by his word. May we come from this hour um, more clear on what you want for us and our integrity in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bill. Yes. This for you, uh,
2: or is that, that was pre-set. preset. Is it a bit loud? Too loud?
0: I'll just back off a little bit, which is <laughs> a little hard for me. Um, we're going to take a moment, first of all, to do something that an English teacher, by training, which is what I prepared to do originally, will always do first. What do we mean when we say this word? integrity. First of all, let me try this one on you. I'm sorry, we've got an audio going right now, and I think that's the only version I'm allowed to, to, to work with. That's what I've been... Okay. Yours is the audio verse recorder? Okay, thank you. I thought they were doing it all through... When you hear the word integrity, Give me the first set of associations that come up for you. What's with that word when you hear it? Yes. Honesty. Honesty. Trustworthiness. Trustworthiness. Truthfulness. Sorry, didn't hear that. Credibility. Interesting term there.
1: Um, Oh, you know what I'm thinking? I think I don't see it very often. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And
0: this is the challenge because the term is used either as a compliment, we like somebody, or when we don't like someone, we say something like you heard last week in the debt deal, their position lacks all integrity. It's it's a term thrown around in our culture, and there are a wide collection of meanings attached to it. You've hit several of them nicely. Truthfulness. Honesty, credibility, where do you think the word comes from?
1: Well, most words that we use come from Latin, Mm -hmm. and that one is one of those that also comes from the Latin background, meaning something that's whole, that's complete.
0: There's a word in English you probably forgot ever since math classes, (laughs) but there's a word very much like it, and what is the word? Integer. Integer. What does it mean? One whole number. When you realize where a word comes from and what it thus is shaped by, we get some kind of a sense of what the meaning of that might value might be. Somehow, integrity isn't just about telling the truth, though that's part of it. It isn't just about credibility, though that's part of it. It has something to do with being whole. Dictionary definition will use language like unimpaired. Sounds a little dangerous to some <laughs> of us because we think of alcohol or something, but unimpaired, whole, round, full, complete. That's, that's what integrity means somehow. And when we go at looking at it, we discover why that is such a quality we need in a chaotic and splintered culture and, truthfully, why we can never have enough of that wholeness in our life of faith together, in the way we interact not only with those outside of our faith, but also within. We've decided to take this next hour to, to talk with you through a particular vehicle, a particular method. Why don't well, you introduce what we're
1: doing? Well, I don't know. If, when you walked in, most people, when they sat down, they kind of moved the paper to the next side. There's actually two sets of paper that we put, we located at, at, you know, the first chair, and maybe you could pass that along. You need two different documents. Maybe I'll give you one. Okay. Two. One's called rap sheet, and the other one's called workplace sanctuary. Now, I've been teaching undergraduate, graduate students, and I noticed that the best way to learn is actually when you do it together. You don't need somebody telling you, especially not adults. That's the reason. That's the solution. That We have the pearls of wisdom. We don't. But I think a great teaching tool is to look at a case study. And we have two case studies here to read it together and then to talk uh, about it.
0: I'm going to suggest that a way we will do this so that if you get the story firmly in your mind, you both read it and you hear it all at the same time, is so that Gerald and I are going to alternate paragraphs and quickly move through the one called rap sheet in front of you. It brings to bear the issue of what integrity means, first of all, in a family environment. The second one will take us to looking at what it means in our professional or business or our social relationships. But the first one focuses specifically on family. So we're going to take the time, we'll read aloud, but you let your eye run down the page, absorb everything you can, and then we're going to be turning to you. You'll note at the end, if you've already turned it over, there are a series of questions which we don't plan to answer. Those come from you, okay? The one called Rap Sheet is in your hand. You know it wasn't fair for Dad to break all of my M&M CDs, Eric snarled and if you try to defend what he did, you're just as bad as he is.
1: Karen stared intently into the muck of formerly hot chocolate that she had been stirring for the last 15 minutes. She sighed, pulled the teaspoon up, and... Let the brown liquid drip slowly off its ends.
0: I never said I agreed that breaking your CDs was the best way to deal with the situation, Karen finally said. I know you worked a long time at the nursery this summer to earn the money to buy your music, but I really need you to respect your father and his authority in this house. And when he
1: says no rap music, we can't have any. How can I respect someone who won't even talk with me about what he did, Eric demanded. If I went into his showcase cabinet and smashed all his prized NASCAR models, he'd probably kick me out of the house. But I'm supposed to just sit here and have $250 worth of my stuff destroyed and not say a word just because he's my father? Tell me that's fair? Eric's fist thumped the kitchen table for emphasis, and the ceramic mug and teaspoon jumped in Karen's hands.
0: Don't get yourself worked up over this one, Eric, pleaded Eric. Karen pleaded as she reached out for his wrist. You know the way your dad is when he's made up his mind about something. He told me that he's felt convicted that your music was wrong for a long time, and he prayed about what he should do for a whole week. When he heard Sarah Ann singing that guilty conscience song she heard in your room, he just knew he had to do something.
1: Well, I hope he's got a guilty conscience now, too, Eric retorted. All our lives, he's told Sarah, Ann and me that breaking other people's stuff is wrong and that you don't treat people in a way you wouldn't want to be treated. Guess that rule doesn't apply to him, does it? When you're a father, I guess you get a change of rules, change the rules or make them up as you go.
0: 16-year-old pushed himself away from the table and stalked out the back door. Moments later, Karen heard the familiar thump of rocks crashing into the old dilapidated shed out behind the garage. That's what Eric always did when he was mad. Went outside and threw rocks at the side of the shed. At least he isn't breaking anything valuable, she mused to herself. Not like Jim on that
1: count, anyway. The screen door slammed on its too-tight spring. And Karen jumped in surprise.
0: Oh, you're home early, Jim, she said as sweetly as she could, pasting a practiced smile across her troubled thoughts. Did you get that load of lumber delivered to the hardware store in Poolsville?
1: What's eating Eric, Jim demanded, ignoring the questions about his workday. I saw him back at the, of the shed pelting the side of the building with rocks. That's usually, that usually means he's upset about something or other.
0: Well, now, dear, even you ought to be able to figure that out, Karen said quietly, staring at the tepid chocolate in her mug.
1: Don't tell me he's still all mad about those devilish CDs of his, Jim said with exasperation. If there's one thing I can't stand, it's people sulking about bad decisions. Face it, Karen, our son made a stupid decision to buy that music, and we made an even more foolish decision to let him bring bring them into the house. Now that we finally did what the Lord's been telling me to do for at least a whole month, I'm not going to tolerate a truckload of Eric's feeling about it.
0: But Jim, the way
1: you handled... Don't but Jim me, Jim barked. One of the reasons Eric thinks he can get away with his nonsense in music is that he's got a mother who tries to protect him when he's blown it. It's time to get to... Sorry, it's time he got a chance to grow up. Karen, without any of that cooing and cuddling that your family is famous for, either my son is going to shape up and live like the Lord calls us to live, or he won't be staying under my roof.
0: I'm sure you'll see to that, Karen said half to herself. You'll chase him away because he doesn't get punched drunk on gasoline vapors the way you and your NASCAR buddies do, and because he listens to Eminem instead of Tim McGraw. That'll sure teach him. Everyone knows the Lord likes country a whole lot better than rap.
1: She got up from the table, stood in front of the sink. Down through the willows, she could see Eric winding up with a fist-sized rock, looking like he was intent on completely destroying the old shed.
0: Jim, she pleaded, whirling around and catching her husband by the front of his plaid shirt. Jim, please go talk with him.
1: It isn't easy being
0: 16, and truth be told, you aren't making it any easier. He doesn't deserve to be treated like he's four years old, even if you are right about the music. He's nearly a man, Jim, in every way except his age. He already is. Please, for me,
1: go talk with him. Jim swallowed hard. The muscles in his jaw tightened and relaxed several times as he stared out over Karen's head through the kitchen window.
0: What would I say to him, he finally asked. It's not like I can say I've changed my mind about the music. I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader of this house, and I know in my bones that his music is from the devil.
1: I didn't say you should change your mind, Karen said quickly, trying to widen the crack in the in the tough facade. Just go talk with him. Tell him you've been thinking about what happened. You can say that truthfully. Tell him you've been thinking about it and, and, and that, that you want to hear what he's thinking.
0: She pushed her husband toward the screen door. Better yet, she called after him. Don't say anything for the first while.
1: She waited until he was rounding the corner of the house and heading toward the old shed.
0: Jim, she called after him. There's a pile of good throwing rocks beside the garage. You'll probably want one or two. That's where I always get mine. When we hear a story, a fictitious story, Yes, you've heard a fictitious story from the editors of the Adventist Review. When you hear a fictitious story, or any story, the first question ought to be, how does scripture relate to the story I've just heard? So I want to ask you that question. How does scripture relate?
1: What comes to your mind? I mean, we read the story. There was some some very, I think, common and reasonable uh, uh, experiences, something that we can identify with. How does scripture inform this? Yes, please.
3: Creating a clean heart and renew a right spirit within. And this father was not doing that in his son. He was creating an antagonistic spirit. And it's very rude of a father to do that. And neither was the mother supporting the principle of truth.
0: in this case. So it's not a clean and clear picture. Create in me a clean heart is the Bible passage you'd go to, and it doesn't seem the father is illustrating that, and the mother is not illustrating that as clearly either. Yes, Thank absolutely. you. Good biblical passage. Another Here's
1: one. another hand there. Related to that, father provoke
2: not your children to
0: wrath. Father, provoke not your children to wrath. Okay. okay.
3: Right. Of, slow to speak, slow to get
0: angry. Ah, okay.
1: That's another one. Do
3: unto others, as you would have them do unto you?
0: Do unto others as you would have them do unto you? Well,
1: that was quoted also by, by somebody in the story, wasn't it? Yes.
0: And in fact, it's in the mouth of the 16 year old yes. who's articulating that Bible principle. Could, could angry Be angry but sin not? Okay. By children obey your parents in the Lord. Okay.
1: All right. We get a little. We're, we're
0: assembling all the Bible passages that might have a bearing on this. Abraham commanded his family to live after the Lord, okay? Ed? The father and the prodigal son story, Luke 15, another Bible passage that has a bearing on this story. Judge not, Judge not. okay, from, from Luke, yes? Log and speck, log in the eye and speck. Oh, oh, okay. okay, the log in the eye and the speck as Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount? Yes, ma'am. Jesus' comment to the woman taken in adultery, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Not
2: so much the text. That's the only one that I can come up with. But the incident. Okay. Okay. Yes, one more. The wise man Solomon someone said, Don't scare them out. Don't spare
0: the rod. We usually add the rest of the proverb in our version. You'll spoil the child. But certainly Solomon's counsel about how to raise children, especially sons, is pertinent. Do you see how we go about looking at what scripture tells us on an issue of integrity? How many passages have we probably cited here just now that we think have a bearing on this story?
1: 50-20, so far, I would say. And you could do yes, double that in
0: another five minutes. There's a principle here about the way we use scripture.
1: Now I don't know if you noticed. I, I guess immediately when we read this story, we kind of take sides. But didn't you feel this way? I, I remember the first time I read the story, I said to Bill, but you know I can understand him, but I can also can understand the other one, the son, or even the wife. You know. So somehow, when we take a position instinctively or intuitively, we come up with scripture. When we
0: assemble a biblical response to a story, our story, our situation, the first principle is we don't simply go to the one passage that first comes to mind and assume that that is the only one that is operative for the way we build integrity in our response. We've already looked at, at Bible passages here, which kind of seem to cover a range of ideas. And yet they're all in Scripture. And you've concluded, each of you, some, that one or more of those is important to the way you will respond to what Scripture suggests in this moment. Do you see a principle at work here about how scripture informs integrity? A principle of using the totality of God's word rather than my favorite text. When my sons misbehave, I think of Solomon. (laughs) It's, It's easy and instinctive to go, I know my role, I have rights, but there are other Bible passages. There's the father of the prodigal who needs to be heard because this is also God's response.
1: In other words, we look, we start to begin, or we start to think biblically. We don't just pull out a text and say, well, this fits into my perspective. But we, said, we, we try to look at the broad range. And the broad range means that don't provoke your son to anger or to, to wrath. And the other one that we just quoted, you know, children, obey your fathers. This is the, the, the range. And that, I think that's, we're kind of getting closer to what integrity is. It's not easy. It's not always just black and white. It, it, it requires listening to God's word and making sometimes difficult choices.
0: And staying with God's word over a period of time as we make a good and godly decision about what integrity means. Integrity doesn't usually happen only in a flash. If it's a quality that lasts in your life, then you have it. But comment back here. I was going to say, you know, you could say, if I'm the parent, and maybe I'll have things that you think uh, need to the me, you know, that sort of thing. Am I thinking of myself first, or like the Lord? Do think of another uh, person first, and how he might be looking at it? Okay. Thinking about... The other person, which Jesus teaches us to do regularly, is also an important ingredient here. Does integrity mean never changing your mind? Oh, you're pretty clear about that. But I thought integrity was a quality linked to consistency. Didn't someone say that word?
1: I did hear it, yeah.
0: So, you mean just putting a stake in the ground and standing there and being consistent, that's not what integrity means in every case?
1: So what does it mean?
0: A person with integrity can change their mind.
1: Yes. Give me a biblical
0: example of that. Nineveh. Nineveh. Whose mind got changed?
2: And Jonah.
0: Jonah. So whatever our definition of integrity comes out to be in personal relationships, it can't be the same as just taking a stand and, you know, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. That's not what integrity means because if you start in the wrong place, staying there is of no value. If you start in an unbiblical or not fully informed position in scripture and you simply put your foot down... It doesn't make it any more virtuous. It isn't the same as never changing your mind. We've gotten that far. Yes, a comment here. And we can think of so many, so many characters like Hezekiah who, who, who equivocate, and God will adapt to their circumstances, but it wasn't His choice,
1: and it wasn't the best choice for Israel as well, as we know, as His son was born which was one of the most terrible kings in Judah at that time, Manasseh. So help us a little bit, what counsel? I mean, do you think this could happen this situation could happen in a real family? Yes. In a real Adventist family? Yeah. And what counsel would you give to to bring together to develop this integrity in maybe all three places us, in that story? Yes.
2: I think they should have started with sitting down in the the and then going to God with
0: okay, a first right. principle for looking at how this family moves toward integrity. Because all three characters here have some challenges on integrity. I think we can see in their comments there. You had a comment there. Yeah, I was
2: going to say that Jesus said, uh, take the log out of your
0: own eye before you start. Jesus said, take the log out of your own eye. Mm-hmm. And so each character here has some challenge with their own integrity, your suggestion is they need to be in some kind of conversation, the family council, some kind of environment where they actually put all their values out on the table and listen to each other. So there's a good bit of counsel. One more back here. It may not be of value to simply put three angry people at a table <laughs> or three people who aren't making good decisions. You're right. There's some spiritual preparation that precedes this. Notice that what we're also moving toward, first of all, integrity doesn't mean never changing your mind. Secondly, integrity is developed by a series of steps in our lives. It isn't a gift that lands on me and I have suddenly, I suddenly become a person of integrity, it is part of God's growth process in our lives. Good.
1: There's something interesting going on. Do you remember the story of Joseph? I mean, that's a story of transformation, isn't it? In, his, in himself, I mean, Joseph is not always the perfect guy, the whole guy. When I read the first chapter, they're describing the family situation, we could say, well, there's some problems in that family as well. But somehow, Ellen White gives us a very great insight in, in, in her writing, somehow, as he was traveling, you know, like this to Egypt, he made up his mind. He made a decision, and then he kept growing with that decision, even in difficult circumstances.
0: And his integrity, notice, is tested many times in the story of Joseph. You didn't happen to name his story as one of the Bible passages, but you could go to Joseph, you could go to Daniel. If, we've, if, we, if I asked you for the stories of Scripture, you would have eight or ten other stories that also give us some understanding of what integrity means. It, isn't, it is, doesn't mean never changing your mind. It is grown or assembled by a series of tests in our lives. Let me ask this question because it bears on our story in front of us is the judge of integrity. Ultimately, God. God is the judge of integrity. There's really only one ultimate judge of integrity. That's God's view of the situation. So, let's try a hypothetical here. Gerald and I work in offices about 15 feet apart, and I'm just sort of naturally a surly person in the morning, you know. This, this is fictitious, again, just for the record. I come in, and I'm just, I'm a mean boss. And, and I'm mean every day to Gerald. So I'm consistently mean to Gerald. And Gerald just gets used to it because he's got a salute, and the boss is just one of those mean persons. And I'm feeling that I'm being consistent I'm acting with integrity. He needs my discipline in his work. Am I a good judge of integrity in that moment? Can I be a judge of my own integrity?
1: Most likely not. I should be the judge of your integrity. (laughs) Well, yes,
0: actually, integrity is usually perceived by someone outside of us and is best established by. An outside perspective. I may think I'm consistently the same way with him. Therefore, I've acted with integrity. But that's foolishness, obviously. My integrity is either judged by God or judged by others of his people if it's real or exists at all.
1: So integrity is not a closed system. It's part of the bigger system of human life interacting. And obviously the biggest picture is the great controversy where God makes makes decisions also, and judges based on integrity.
0: His is the only standard of evaluating human conduct that ultimately matters. There are no shifting ethical perspectives from God's viewpoint. Whatever our viewpoints might be, they ultimately disappear in significance when placed alongside God's forever viewpoint of our conduct. Ultimately, I answer in integrity, not to Jim, not to Eric, but to God. Now, let's go to a question that's on the, the tail of your your uh, sheet there. What would you say to Jim if you could? How would you guide Jim toward integrity as a father, as a husband, as a man in this moment? Suddenly, you put that problem in front of you, and tell us what you would say to Jim. Yes.
1: So you feel that in this, at this stage in their life, I mean, the son is 16 years old, there must be respect also from all sides for, for these choices that have been made. Okay, that was a hint. Here. As a parent,
2: I'm thinking that you don't teach a child something
0: One of my college teachers one day wrote on the board, I'll come to your hand in a moment, wrote on the board a line that has stayed with me. I, I, I go back there sometimes because I have two college age students of my own. Now, the purpose of parents is to do away with the need for parents.
1: That's painful. That's painful. I have young children.
0: (laughs) The purpose of parents, apply that to this story, is to do away with the need for parents. In short, it isn't simply to get Eric to conform. It is to grow a young man who can make quality decisions with integrity without a father snapping the M&M CDs or controlling his experience. Now... That's not going to happen on one day, and it's not going to happen at age 16. But the ultimate goal of building integrity into that young man from a father's perspective is I need to be able to produce a young man. I have two I need to produce who makes decisions without me there saying, do this, do this, do this.
1: In other words, it actually started at six, eight years way before that, that story happened, right? Because that's where we begin to... Teach those steps, little steps of making good choices. Yes, here. There's only been
2: one perfect man, so you have to understand that this father, given,
0: given, this is not a perfect man. Yes. (laughs) And apple didn't fall far from the tree. Yes. If you don't want to live by the house rules, That's there will be a time of departing. Going to make an utter end. And, and we, if you choose his wife, you are welcome to live in this house. Good. If you don't choose his way, you're gone. You've got a comment back here. One thing we're, we're kind
3: of missing the boat on here, I think, is the father. Yes? Everybody's focusing on the son and what the son is doing wrong, but totally... Um, over the fact that the father is not being a very good example himself of oh, his son. absolutely. One, by making his NASCAR race cars or whatever his idol. Two, by listening to country, which is also music of the devil. And three, by handling the situation totally wrong, by destroying this music instead of possibly talking to his son, doing a Bible study, wooing him, yes. praying for him on his Thank knees. You. You. So I think before you can get on the son yeah. for his problems... You need to get on the father because we have a perfect father, but this father is far from perfect, and as parents, we do all make mistakes, absolutely, but a lot of times, that behavior is what pushes our young people out of the home and out of the church because it's more the attitude, do as I say, not as I do.
0: How many of you have been in this situation where integrity has meant apologizing to your child? You've lived that story, too? Integrity isn't just saying, I'm the father and I get my way, or I'm the parent and I get my way. Integrity can mean, I have to apologize for not being the example. Integrity can mean that change of mind, that development of the heart, that give me a, a clean heart, oh God. We've got a comment here in the front and then one over here. Yes, that should be obvious. She's laid her her finger on, on that missing ingredient in all of these relationships, which is respect. They don't even speak respectfully to each other or about each other. When we look at what integrity means, then we begin to see from a story and applying the principles of scripture here, it isn't doesn't mean never changing your mind, doesn't mean you can assemble it real quickly, and it may require a change in your way of relating to key people in your life. Ed, you had a comment. I, I
2: was just thinking when you were describing the office situation.
0: Yes. The value of true confession. The value. Elaborate, please. <laughs> well, obviously, pictures, oh. <laughs> but you you
1: needed to con, confess. Yes.
0: And in fact, if I was treating Gerald that way,
1: I wouldn't. I wouldn't be standing here. Yes. Okay. There we go. <laughs> I just wanted to say that
2: the prodigal son showed respect for his father in one way, and that is he wanted to live differently, and he took it outside the home. Hmm. He didn't stay there and eat his father's, or he did ask for
0: the inheritance. It was not very respectful. I, I would give you that. But, but fifty years ago. When yeah. Some of you may have also seen the statement, my dad, I noticed, put it on the wall above the computer. It says, children these days are disrespectful and arrogant. It cited all the current conditions. And it's a statement from Aristotle 2,700 years ago. <laughs> and, and it was a, a reminder that we're living with a set of human conditions which may, at a given culture, get intensified. These are profoundly human problems. We're going to wrap this discussion in about two more hands, but starting here. <laughs>
3: where they've been there. Maybe he didn't know, or maybe he didn't But I, I find this inconsistency in my own parenting with my own daughter. And I know that I'm guilty of that. And I say, no, you can't have that. And if they, she pushes me and works me hard enough, she gets it sometimes. And I see that I'm inconsistent. And I think as a parent, we need to be consistent as integrity, yeah. yeah. you're speaking about, but in a loving way. Yeah. And in a way of helping them see that they're responsible to God, not to me. And teaching our children that Ultimately, she says, when I'm 18, I'm coloring my hair purple. And I said, well, I would hope that you wouldn't do that. In my home, you cannot do that. But when I hope and pray that God would help you change your mind, just see that that is not the way to honor honor him. And I just, you know, you have to work with, you know.
0: Every one of us who's been in a situation even remotely like some of the conflicts that are described here knows that. These are situations that require time and prayer. There isn't the one fix we can apply. But there are a series of important Bible principles, and you've done so beautifully in drawing those out. Part of what this exercise is about is learning to think about Scripture as the guide for personal integrity. Last comment on this story. All,
2: all, everybody's comments makes me think of the Bible verses. Train a child mm. in the way. if by our words we teach our children from an early age when they're older they won't turn to other things that are impressing and influencing them, they won't turn to their peers for guidance because we will have shown them by our actions that the safety of the home and their guidance is where they need to be and where they need to come and in reference to my sister's comments here it is unfortunate that our teens in these Uh, days are off the beaten path so to speak who's ultimately to blame? And I we as parents for not giving the right example. I I
0: will I will defer to Ray to the last comment on this story. Go ahead. Like it or not, it's obvious that the young man gets it, that he sees the inconsistencies yeah. And I think that's what speaks to me, and we're never an expert to our grandparent or great-grandparent. Yes. Well put, Ray. And we are going to turn to our second story because, as promised, we're we're talking not only about integrity in a family environment, but we're talking about it in a professional or workplace environment. We all have some arena where we're challenged. Uh, in, In my fictitious example, Gerald is challenged by my treatment of him at work every day. Well, not really, but for the purpose of this illustration. Your challenge may come in a workplace environment, it may come in a home environment, it may come in a, an environment at church, in relationship with other church members. we are going to look at a different story, at a different example, to highlight again the relevant Bible principles that should drive our thinking.
1: All right, if you could find that second sheet called Workplace Sanctuary, and we'll, we'll do the same. Let me start. The impact wrench chatted merrily in Bay 5, and even in spite of the echoing clatter, Don smiled and took a long, slow breath. Just Mrs. Fessenden's tires left. The last customer on a Friday afternoon that had already seen two transmission repairs, a carburetor adjustment, a timing belt replaced, and three check engine lights reset. One more customer, and then, then the sound would die away. The tools would be put away and Sabbath would be on its way.
0: Don grinned as he anticipated the every Friday afternoon ritual that would happen moments from now when Manuel came to collect his pay. You know, you're my best worker, Don would say, watching the mix of pride and embarrassment cross the employee's face. If I could have a whole shop full of men like you, I'd be able to send all the teenagers in the church on a mission trip.
1: And it was true. There was no one among Don's 14 full- and part-time workers who worked as hard or as quickly as Manuel. A skilled mechanic in his native chihuahua, Manuel had come to the Green Valley Automotive Center just three years before and had immediately earned a regular shift in Bay 5. A keen eye, a keener ear, with just the right mix of professionalism and sympathy when a customer wanted to talk to the mechanic himself. Manuel was as close to a perfect employee as Don had ever had.
0: Don's reverie was broken by a slight movement in front of the customer service counter. All done, boss, Manuel smiled. Here to collect my tithes and offerings and a little to feed Rosita and the kids for another week.
1: The ritual between the two Sabbath keepers had become a treasured part of their Friday afternoon routine. Don would slowly count out ten $100 bills after the last customer left and the front door was locked. Manuel was would arrange them on the counter. The first bill went into the tithe pile. Manuel would inform him the second was for church expense, and the third was set aside for sending back to family in Chihuahua. Each bill had its own envelope, carefully unfolded from an interior pocket in Manuel's work uniform.
0: And stories from the 150-member Green Valley Ecclesia Adventista del Septimo Dia made it clear that Manuel was even more generous than the ritual indicated. As head deacon, he regularly paid for needed repairs to the church building out of his own pocket. The literature rack was always stocked with Spanish-language Lavo's tracts. The Rodriguez home was where those needing a meal
1: always seemed to be sent. There, said Don, placing the last bill in Manuel's oil-stained hands, And have a happy Sabbath, Manuel. Give my best to Rosita and the kids.
0: Don watched Manuel walk through the lengthening shadows to the 1998 Corolla he kept in peak condition. If only the world was filled with more men like that, Don mused half aloud.
1: On Sabbath morning, Don was bear hugged in the church foyer by another man he much admired. A tall, lanky New Yorker who had settled in Green Valley just six months before and quickly bonded with the automotive repair center owner, Frank certainly stood out in town. Blonde, blue-eyed, and 6'3". He was easily the most Anglo man in town. Don teased him, and his job didn't naturally let him melt into the town's 60% Hispanic population. Frank was the manager of the field office of the Immigration and Naturalization Service, while other agents spent their days on border patrol miles to the south. Frank's job was to routinely canvass the businesses of the Green Valley region to make sure the required I-9 document were in file for each employee.
0: Not much fun to be sure, Frank would say after an inspection that had revealed undocumented aliens in area businesses, but it's all part of rendering to Caesar what is really Caesar's. When the two men met for prayer each Sabbath after the worship service, Don could hear the emotion in Frank's voice as he prayed that he would view the businessmen and the undocumented with the compassion of Jesus.
1: Looks like I'll be seeing you again this week on Tuesday morning, Frank said as he released Don from the bear hug. Your shop is is one of the last places on my list to check for I-9s, and I can't put off a visit any longer without my supervisor raising questions. But that won't be a problem for you, he grinned. If I don't miss my guess, you're the kind of guy who keeps his paperwork looking like the Library of Congress."
0: Don felt the fear clutch at the pit of his stomach as he shook Frank's offered hand. Sure, his paperwork was in order for 13 employees, but he and Manuel had operated on their own don't ask, don't tell policy. Don had never asked for Manuel's right-to-work documents. Manuel had never offered them. It might be easy enough to have Manuel stay home on Tuesday, put some other mechanic in Bay 5, But what if Frank did more than simply comb through the filed documents? What if he interviewed the other employees? Would they tell Frank about the skilled, dedicated man who worked circles around them, but never got a regular pay envelope?
1: Sure, Don said slowly as Frank searched his face for some reply. Why don't you come a little early that morning? We'll grab a bite to eat at the diner across the street and maybe even get a chance to pray together if we find a quiet corner. We're both very much in need of the compassion of Jesus just now.
0: A little bit like real life, isn't it, sometimes? (laughs) So, let's start where good thinking about integrity always starts. What Bible passages or Bible principles... Anchor them in a passage, come to mind as somehow bearing on what should be done in this story. Start here.
2: Be sure your sin will find you be out. Be sure your sin <laughs> will find you out.
0: Okay, there's one.
1: Yes, please.
0: Treat others as you want to be treated. The golden rule, okay? Yes. In other words, the Bible principle that seems to ask for equality between the stranger, the foreigner, and the citizen, not making the distinctions that our law might make right now. Okay? Interesting principle. Very good. Following
2: this Adam, you might say it's like that God has certain principles that government sometimes do something that's different to God's principles like with Peter. Don't preach the
0: gospel. And obeying Caesar in that instance would have been disobeying Jesus. So you're already highlighting the tension that can exist between Caesar and God on certain issues. Okay, Bible principles. Okay. Okay. What about the commandment, thou shalt not steal, Obviously, the paying cash,
2: so that's under the table, no taxes giving out. And what about thou
0: shalt not be a false witness? There are commandments that seem invoked by this story too. Not stealing or not bearing false witness, both of which seem implied in the way Don pays Manuel, at least to you. Okay. Other Bible principles or passages that you think bear on this.
2: Somewhere in Romans, um, if you are not uh, obeying the government, then the gov- you will feel the government's sword. I can't quote the
0: text. Sure. Okay, that, we, that government has an authority established by God to, to bring to bear and we will, if we're out of harmony with that, we will suffer that consequence. This is tied to that Romans 12 passage, yes. Okay, well,
1: we're slowly warming up. That's a difficult story, at least to to judge from your responses or lack of responses, (laughs) yeah? Yes. After the last customer left and the front door was locked, so he knew he was
0: wrong. There's. It implies here that Don has some sense that he wouldn't do this in public. There's a principle there about openness, doing all we do with transparency.
2: into Nazi Germany. Uh, Don is
1: harboring Jews in his house or something, and Frank is working with the Gestapo and wanting to investigate his house to see whether he's harboring um, uh, any Jews in his house. Um, somewhat of an extreme
2: uh, example, but yet there's still principles of, of equality uh, at
1: work here. Uh, maybe even Frank is the one who should be maybe giving some slack maybe he knows that there are some people, but he should have sympathy and compassion um, for, for people maybe that um, um, are here.
0: Okay. We, we've, we're have we getting some interesting disagreements moving <laughs> here. We've got a comment from Ray and then one in the back. Go ahead. Are you still on Bible principles? Yes. Bible principles, yes.
1: Okay. I'd like to stick there. I seem to remember a text about defrauding laborers they cry out to you. Yes. James fraud here when it comes to security
2: and uh, other benefits that are or by in cash none of that is to go to that
0: in short what looks like dons compassion here might not be that when we think more fully about it even where our emotions may get pulled into this in the back row you had a comment Yes, the
3: spies who were hidden. In similar situations like those, I just wonder how God allowed that to have to Why? And then rather, would have gotten so many problems and the spies were hidden. or the people were sent mission that they had to hide. Yeah.
0: We agree that all in through and through. So. What we see here is that integrity means... We've talked about a set of things we learned from the last story about relationships. But integrity, as applied to this circumstance, based on your, the, the, the biblical comments you're identifying here, is that, again, it isn't a one-passage-of-Scripture answer to this. We could quote one of these and say, that's what integrity means. Therefore, on the basis of that, we establish a rule. And Don must do because the rule is. But when we begin assembling what scripture says and listening to it carefully, it's going to take us some time, and it would take Don some time to come to an answer. Again, any more Bible passages that haven't been voiced? Oh, there's a hand in the back. Yes.
1: That's an interesting statement, um, which is, you know, when you talk an ethics class, just imagine yourself sitting in an ethics class situation, ethics is a is a key element of, of modern ethics. How do we decide what's good? Well, what's the least impacting on the, on the least people? You know, that's, that's good. So you say, no, we actually should not, even maybe not on biblical stories. It's an interesting statement, but on biblical... May I rephrase it? Principles. Commands, which obviously involve also principles. That's, that's, a, that's a good advice.
0: Let me ask you a question about a character here because we're going to transition from, these, from our Bible passages to thinking about the characters in this story. Do you like Manuel in this story? Yes. He's kind, yes? No? No. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, there, he's kind of a heartwarming character here. You, your heart goes out to someone who's as faithful and hardworking, and generous, and tithe-paying, and Sabbath-keeping, and I mean, there isn't anything that this man doesn't seem to do well, except get legal he employment. Have
1: a green cards. <laughs> yes,
0: and so Manuel represents in this story the way our heart gets pulled in a, in a situation where integrity is involved. Manuel represents. That piece of our emotions that says oh but I like this person and and makes that the greater value in determining integrity than a biblical principle because well I like Manuel you can see how dangerous that could become because our hearts are notoriously fickle scripture tells us that
2: he's a good Seventh Day Adventist he's earning salvation by his good works uh, all right. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> Let's go to the next. <laughs> I see favoritism here, and also the thought comes to me. He's got 13 other employees, and none
0: of them are active. they've worked for a number of years. Why is that? Yes, uh, there, there, You can ask a series of back questions about Don that emerge here. Don initially, again, we see the story through his eyes. We, we feel his feelings toward the main characters. And yet, there's some questions about who. Does Don have integrity?
1: So let me put the question to you. Well, let's yeah. let's just move back a little bit. I mean, do you remember? Do you see Don every Sabbath, finding a friend to pray with? I mean, he is a committed Adventist. Mm-hmm. Let's not just hang him out there and moving to the one easy side. You know, the the guilty part. He is somebody that seems to have a hard relationship with Jesus Christ. At least you know he takes the time not everybody does that to find somebody a prayer partner where he's accountable to to whom he is accountable
0: you can like certain pieces of don very well yeah. Yeah. even if you don't like or believe he's taken the right step right. relative to the employment matter so Would you like to elaborate?
2: undocumented alien Mm -hmm.
0: in the back much of my
2: life has been plagued with judgmentalism
0: Mm. I
2: think that's a disease that can be rampant I guess the question I've tried to learn to face better I've grown a little older would I rather be
1: right Mm. or relational
0: the answer is yes
2: (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's a good answer to me is my question when I was a chaplain in training and I didn't have that option of yes to vote
1: uh-huh.
2: if I insist on always being right I will lose my relationship lightly. if I can maintain a relationship with you there's a chance I might prove right after all mm-hmm. as we work through things but I think the judgmental side of it is the dangerous
0: Yes, right here.
2: If we use Christ as our example, but what would Jesus do? We can be, as he was, right and relational. And I think that's where we miss the target is that we don't use Christ as our example because he wasn't he did not administer the same principle in every circumstance, but he was always without sin. He was right
0: and relational. He didn't compromise. Comment here.
3: Sabbath, they get together and they split up, and, and so it, it's very, it'll be confusing yes. kind for of, them, yeah. and you're never really showing them, presenting them a solid um, picture
2: of what Christianity is, and so it's just a, it's, it's like, it's simple gratitude, I appreciate you all. I'm going to do this, uh, I'm, I, I really feel good about myself, because I felt I'm very compassionate, and I'm helping you out, and you wouldn't otherwise be able to get a legal job, so I'm going to do this, but you're helping me, you know, you're helping me too.
0: I mean, you know. Don is making a profit off Manuel's work, and they have, as they say, as the story says, they have their own don't ask, don't tell. This relationship is working for the two of them, even though it may not be a relationship founded on integrity. Okay? I want to ask a question because we're going to come, we've got about five minutes before we wrap here. Say something to Don. Think about Don right now. He's the character from whom we've seen the story. It's unfolded from his perspective. How do you help Don right now, in the moment he's in, he's just heard Frank saying, I'm coming on Tuesday morning. How do you help Don build integrity? Based on the Bible principles we've identified, how do we help Don build integrity? Speak to that. There is a way to see with right? Okay. Yes. Here.
3: Do I would say to him to to do what is right and leave the results with God.
0: Do the right thing, meaning in this case for you the legal thing. Just, just tell the truth. Tell the truth.
3: Just share what's what's happening and leave the results with
0: God. And leave the results to God. Okay. And other comment here. Speak to Don. You. Know,
1: Because there's been many times in my life that things that I've been doing that over time that God convicted me about and I realized, oh, this is wrong. And I placed a a sort of cover of righteousness over it. And, you know, it seemed like uh, God really cared for Manuel. I mean, they were working together and, you know, closing the door and stuff. Most people, when they pay their employees, they close the door. You know, but here's the thing. It's not a question about, for me, what, you know, has he been doing right? The question is, will
0: he do right now? And I really think he owes it to Manuel. Okay. He owes it to Manuel to be right. And to do right by the law?
1: And to teach Manuel that Manuel needs to learn um, Uh some lessons in his own
0: life. Just because we're Sabbath keepers, and I hope you are, I don't mean that you just keep the seventh day, which I trust you do, but I hope you keep the spirit and the attitude of what it means to be a Sabbath keeper. Just because we're Sabbath keepers doesn't give us an automatic advantage when it comes to determining how to act with integrity. Because I'm Adventist, that doesn't make me a person of integrity. I am a person of integrity and an Adventist. I trust by the grace of God and by his forming power in my life, shaping me into the image of Christ. But let's move past this notion that sometimes grows up that no one can question my ethics. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. We all know differently. Our ethics are, are in need of biblical foundations. They're in need, of, in need of being questioned.
1: And I think they need of constant reflection, yes. constant feedback. And that's spiritual feedback. Scripture, God speaking to me, um, listening to the small voice, you know, to, to, to make these sometimes painful or difficult decisions.
0: Last comment over here. You know, something that's really bothering me is that we need to function under the umbrella of politicians and laws that are passed mm. that who says is very safe? <laughs> well, after last week in Congress, I think several of us have questions about that point. But uh, I didn't say answers. I said questions. Um, but no, I, I think you've raised an important question here, uh, which is can I automatically equate whatever federal law is, with the will of God. Uh, and I think Adventists, above all other people, will have reason to at least look carefully at whether, be, whether the government is, is, is correct in every situation. We know from our emphasis on the great controversy that there will come a point when being persons of integrity will not mean keeping the law as dictated by a national government. So we, we do well to ask the question even as we wrestle with that Bible principle about how do I live with Caesar's rule right now. Gerald, we've got to wrap here in a moment. We've promised to let people out. Your comment, and then I'll finish.
1: Let me leave you a challenge. I don't know if those of you who do read the Adventist Review or visit us on the website. You all do. I I just wrote an, an editorial that actually goes in this direction about how the Adventist Church during Nazi Germany um, in Germany, interacted with Jews. And there's a lot of research that has been done. It's not a pretty story. In other words, it was a church that was very quiet, silent. And yes, there were individuals that helped, great individuals. We can read some stories. But as a church, we were kind of, you know, your comment, we were kind of under this law. We were under this constant fear of destruction. Um, How does this, in the bigger context of the great controversy, of the you know the the time aspect of the great controversy, how does it inform my thinking and my acting about integrity?
0: If prophecy matters to us as a people, and the answer is it does, Mm -hmm. if prophecy matters to us, then I have to be informed by my understanding of what's coming ahead to live somehow differently today. That is also part of what integrity means for Seventh-day Adventists uniquely. We've, we've talked about some important understandings that have emerged out of these stories. One of the reasons we like using stories is because they, they walk closer to us sometimes than, than didactic teaching. I could put up a list of nine elements that constitute integrity, and you would say, how cold. I tell you a story and you say, I felt that. I know that struggle. Boy, Lord, this is an area I need to work on. That's what happens when I hear a story. I take it in and I think about how this works in my life. I hope that these stories have done that by asking you, are the decisions you're making that will make up your integrity coming out of biblical grounding, biblical foundations? That's the best first question. Secondly... Can I, can I rid from my thinking some of these other notions that have crowded in? Like, just stand by whatever you have at all costs. Not if you're in the wrong. Don't stand by it. Can I... What does compassion mean to integrity? Jesus had more integrity than any human being who has ever lived. And yet one of the hallmarks we speak of him about quite accurately is his enormous compassion. What does that mean in this moment, or this story, or any life story? There isn't one answer, as we've seen, to these complex stories. But there are a set of principles which I hope become the ground for your prayer life. As you say, Lord, make me a person of integrity. Help me to start with your word, work from your word, and keep asking, what does your word say to this moment? When we do that, our lives are going to be shaped into the life of Christ. That's what all of us want, ultimately. He defines integrity. Gerald, pray for us as we conclude.
1: Father, we thank you that we could think about this very important subject. And it's something that's not just an academic question, it's something that affects us every day in our families, in our walk with you, in our churches, in our mission. We ask you that you help us to discover every day your integrity, your compassion, and above all, your care for this world. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. This media
2: was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org